Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. I went to tell you were going to take a drink. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome back to the show. Our show. This show. The show. The, what are you doing? Kevin Smith. You're doing your gesticulating. I am. Like Kevin Smith. Welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> Ming Chen. No, he's, Ming Chen's not here. He's, he's not. He's not. No. He seems quite reasonable. Right, I'm Alan Moore. <laughs> he's not Alan Moore. He's the one that's a... No, well, we won't... Yeah, I'm Alan Moore and I should be drawing Batman Cacophony 2. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> he should be, but he has to work for Kevin to write it. And I'm pretty certain Walt Flanagan was that thought bubble. I saw a guy who looked just like him, but he was a bit too far away, I couldn't hear him. Right. But he looked the spits. Well, we've not watched Comic Book Men in a while. I don't even know if it's still on. Mm. Is it? So maybe no, they did an episode of Thought Bubble. I'm sure we'd have heard of that. And Rich Johnson would have, you know, reported yeah. it. Should we do an email or three? <laughs> okay. I say an email or three because we only have three. Yes, so yes. That works out very well. We had four last week. Did we have four last week? I think, yeah. I'll take your word for I'm that. We're going to have two I, next I, week. I don't remember we last week. See, the only problem, the only thing wrong with this is when we record this, the last episode that I heard was the one that's just gone up because I, I beta test it a couple of days before to make sure that yeah. you've not said anything that in the intervening two weeks has become <laughs> topical. Which has happened on a couple of occasions. There's a couple of occasions where you've said something that was very, very funny, but in the two weeks before it went up, I kind of thought, actually, maybe I should cut that out, (laughs) given what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just made Ireland a gag. You didn't know, but, you know. And there was Thingo when Cubert died. Right. You had your, I don't like Cubert's art. And I actually thought, I'll cut that out, given that he died yesterday. I quite like you, but... Uh, as, the, uh, as the episode went up. Actually, you know, with that one, I made a, a director's cut of it. Did you? I only edited it on its first upping. Right. So the one that's on Two True Freaks in the archive, I think, is the unedited version. Right, Because okay. my thinking was, well, by that point, no one will know when this yeah, came out. Yeah. So it won't matter. Right. It was just a little bit, you know... You were dissing on the guy two days after he died, <laughs> although you'd actually done it two weeks before he died. Yeah, okay. So I, I, I cut that out. That's right. There's a couple of occasions. Normally it's you. Mm. Normally it's all your fault. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very rarely me. I'm, I'm middle of the road, me, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's probably problem with that is eventually I'm going to get run over. <laughs> uh, Michael Bailey has emailed in, for which we are grateful. First mention tonight. He gets a mention later on as well. Does he? Yeah, because uh, he pointed something out. Mm. to me while I was prepping this show 
Because right. uh, Michael's a bit of a sounding board for stuff. Yeah. And uh, I went, that's a jolly good idea. I will nick that. <laughs> as with all of his ideas. As with all of Mike's ideas. Well, he has all these great ideas, then it takes him forever to do anything with it. Whereas we're quite regular. Yeah, yeah. We're like Bram. <laughs> oh, you make you regular. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mike's email. Hey there, Leylands. Hello there, Michael Baylor. It's Sunday morning and I'm at work and I don't want to be here, so obviously I'm writing to you. Because <laughs> being at work sucks on a Sunday, doesn't it? Yeah. It's funny to think how many emails I've sent to you while on the clock at work. <laughs> Seems damned irresponsible, but whatever. This place has sucked enough of my soul. It can stand me taking a few minutes to write to my favourite show. Oh, well, we appreciate that we're his favourite show. We do. And we appreciate that we're alleviating your boredom at work. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, by and large, that's what podcasts do for me as well. Uh, Michael continues. Your past two episodes on Marvel slash DC, or DC slash Marvel, as I would normally say it, crossovers were fantastic. Thanks, Mike. Andy has really changed my mind on these things having to be explained that some sort of dimensional imbalance has occurred to get Marvel Hero and DC Hero together. In the end, Andy's right. It just doesn't matter. The point is to get the characters together to tell a hopefully fun and engaging story. The original crossovers from the 70s and 80s never bothered with that filth. Just get Superman and Spider-Man or Batman and the Hulk together and have at it. Unless the point of the story is to show how the two universes operate differently, which you will probably be getting to with JLA Avengers, then why waste precious real estate over explaining it to me? Actually, we did mention that in JLA Avengers, didn't we? Did we? We did mention that it was one of the few times where I didn't mind that they actually had to explain... Because that was the Because story. that was the point yeah. of the story. So it was like, alright, okay, I don't mind that. That's mm. fine. When I was six years old, my father said to me, wait for Andy to say, get out. No, before that, he said, sun, stocks may rise and fall, utilities and transportation systems may collapse. People are no damn good, but they want to see Superman the Hulk fight, and they won't give a crap how those two heroes are actually meeting. Remember, my father said, don't bother explaining how the two universes meet and get on with it. I actually thought he said land. <laughs> that's, just, that's just me. <laughs> what are they worrying? It's It's like a burnoose. Oh, oh, are we going to Ellis Ababa, Mr. Lufour? Oh, this land. <laughs> oh, this land. <laughs> oh, I was trying to not bleep this one. I remember when Superman vs. The Incredible Hulk came out, mainly because I was very excited that such a comic was happening. I didn't care about the artist, which doesn't mean I don't like Steve Rude's work, but he wasn't the draw. Roger Stern was. My favourite Superman writer tackling two of my favourite characters. The strongest memory I have of the story, as I have not read it since it came out, is that I liked how Stern managed to weave together the Man of Steel era Superman with the first six issues era of the Hulk. It worked for me. The art was fine, but it was the writing that got me. Your coverage made me want to read it again, but for some reason I can't find it, which vexes me. I like the use vexes. I think we should bring that into popular usage again, sure. vex. I'm very fond of vex. I finally decided to check eBay to get a new copy and was shocked, shocked I tell you, to discover that the damn thing goes for nearly $20. Thankfully a friend sent me to a link with a lot of books that were cheap so I didn't have to spend that much on one comic. I'm curious as to why it commands such a price. Maybe because it's almost 20 years old. I think we're about to see certain 90s books raise in value as they hit the 20 year mark. The Judge Red Batman thing sounded fun. I like the ventriloquist quite a bit so I will dig that up one day. 
For whatever reason, I never read the Spider-Man Batman crossovers. I remember seeing them on the shelves, but nothing about them screamed, Spend six dollars on me! They sounded like fun, so if I spot them on the cheap, I'll pick them up. I liked seeing Bagley draw the DC heroes when he had his short and, from all accounts, unhappy stint with DC. So I'm interested in that book on an artistic level, if nothing else. I liked his Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, etc. And his work on the Justice League of America was really good. It was fun to see him draw some of the more obscure characters in the DC pantheon. To me, he will always be one of the definitive Spider-Man artists, but it's nice to see him go beyond those characters. Even though I haven't read the stories, I would agree that Graham Nolan would have been a better choice for the Joker story, as I always liked his visual take on the character. I recently picked up and read Joker Devil's Advocate, and his work in that, as well as Dixon's writing, was amazing. To be fair, I like his work with Ra's al Ghul very well, but it would have been fun to see Nolan draw Carnage. One final thought I had while listening was why they didn't tap Tom Lyle to draw one of these. He seems like a logical choice as he worked on both characters at one point or another. I know that his style isn't to everyone's taste and to be fair I much preferred his work on the Will Patton Starman series or the Comet which he did with Mark Wade. but it would be neat to see him draw a story featuring the Dark Knight and the Wall Crawler. That's all for now. Time to start earning my keep. Take care, Mikey Mike B host of Views from the Long Box and Bailey's Batman Podcast, co-host of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, co-host of Tales of the Justice Society of America, co-host of Radio KAL Live every Monday night at 10.30 EST. It's like that. I like it when they plug their own stuff in their emails. What is the little signature? Yeah, because it saves me having to remember to say, and Mike does this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. And every now and again on Views from the Longbox, he has some Northern Chancer on it with him. That that would be me. Oh, no no one of importance. No, no, God, no. Uh, Mark Lax has emailed in Superheroes beat the blankety blank out of each other part one Hello again Leyland Superheroes slugfests are always fun But when they're company crossovers That's even better Somehow I missed Superman vs. the Hulk Do you know I'm hearing that an awful lot Yeah That people didn't even know it existed At the time I was buying everything Superman And something like this should not have escaped my attention But listening to your analysis I don't think I missed much the story sounded okay, and the art is something I would like to see someday. The fascination of watching heroes slug it out has always kind of eluded me. Sure, it's fun watching our favourite heroes go nuts and attack each other, but other than some good art demonstrating the blows, there's usually very little to the story, and the heroes usually team up at the end. I never found these very interesting. What I do enjoy is watching characters from different companies getting together and playing off each other. The different personalities and the fact they come from different universes was always interesting to see how the writers and artists portray them. As for the same company's heroes beating each other up, well, if you're using your old friend Lobo or another anti-hero, Namor, the Hulk, etc. I was always rooting for the hero, but when you pit Superman against Batman, well, that's just silly. I mean, who would even think of such a match-up unless you're Frank Miller, who supposedly likes Superman, or some misguided studio exec. But bring on the slugfests! I'd love to see Perry White versus J. Jonah Jameson. Perry would kick that panty waist butt. That'd be epic. Until next time on Hey Kids Comics, your friend, Mark Lax. Thank you, Mark. I don't, what are you, the Perry White versus Jonah? I think Jonah's pretty wiry, to be honest with you. Do you? Yeah. I think Perry's gone to seed a bit. Oh, I, th- yeah. I, think, I think Jonah would probably take him, mm. in, uh, in my humble opinion. Although Perry would probably accuse him of being a tabloid hack. There is that. And, and Jonah would say, oh, piss off, bro, cheap boy. Do you think they wouldn't physically fight? No. Nah. They'd fight over newspapers. No, I think they'd have a spelling bee. <laughs> <laughs> and then the pair of them would just get into a contest of who could spell them up the longest words. Because Lois Lane would suck at that. Right, I, I, I think Captain Britain would have to... Uh... <laughs> 
judge it. <laughs> Captain Britain would. Why would he judge it? Spell colour. Should we do the last email? <laughs> okay. Hello, Chris Franklin, for it is he who has joined us. JL Avengers Crisis on Secret War Worlds. Oh, I wish I'd thought of that. Mm. That could be an episode title. And it might be an upcoming miniseries. It could very well be. That's very true. Hello, Leyland. Man, you guys make me want to hop in my car, race home, and dig out JLA Avengers right now. But since that would probably get me fired, I'll resist the urge. What, what is it with people listening and writing at work? Maybe work just sucks so much that we're the last port of call. <laughs> work sucks so much we'd rather listen to you two. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know how to take that. Good. I suppose so. <laughs> yeah. Work is so bad that even listening to you two is better than work. Yeah. Uh, I can't add much that you didn't already gush about other than to say this series is the final word on crossovers both intercompany and intracompany. And as such, the whole concept should have been retired afterwards. It's just that damn good. Boussiet manages to top every sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earth as we prepare for another in Convergence and weave the histories of the universes together without losing sight of the characters' voices. Perez, well, you have the greatest living superhero artist at the top of his game here, so words aren't enough. A few quick notes. Aquaman was in his Mystic Waterhand phase here, post-hook. Mystic Waterhand? Ah, yes, he did have it later on, actually. Did he? Yeah, when he got rid of the beard and was clean-shaven, he did have... Uh, what hand which he had near the end right well uh, Chris does go on to say Perez had to redraw some scenes with him and Kyle Rayner right because the looks apparently changed whilst he was working on the comic yeah so. the actually the JLA lineup looks like the Morrison Wade era JLA it may have been yeah. I don't remember when Morrison and Wade were doing it he was on X-Men by that point wasn't he yeah yeah Morrison was on X-Men by the time JLA Avengers came out. But it did look like that era of yeah. the JLAers. Alright, fair enough. Boussiek and Perez featured everyone who was ever a League or Avenger, so the Thing, being a reserved West Coast Avenger, at this time shows up. I think Reed and Sue appear later, but not Johnny, since he was never an Avenger. At least he wasn't then. Everyone's been an Avenger now. I think even Squirrel Girl is an Avenger. She is, isn't she? She was, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and yes, I did mean that you felt the Superman Hulk book was mediocre, not that your efforts were mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I liked it better when he thought we were mediocre. <laughs> it, was it, was, it was, it was much funnier. I like the idea that he sent us that really big glowing email and then said, oh, by the way, you were mediocre this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Set the bar low, so we're always good. Well, he, he, he says nice things about us, especially when I sound like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I didn't notice that I sounded like Winnie the Pooh till he pointed it out. Ooh, burr of little brain. Here in the Hundred Acre Wood. No, anyway, Chris does Supermates with his Mrs. Cindy. Go and check it out, because it's a great show. Uh, speaking of which, we'll get on with our show after these commercial messages. Futuristic drawings saying what the future is going to be. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. Gleaming buildings, fast monorails. This is the future. It was all started by a mountain. Twice the size of Manhattan. We want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Walt Disney World. Better than any other urban environment in America. 
Two True Freaks proudly presents... We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Golf courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels. Earning My Ears. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now. Earning My Ears, a Walt Disney World-centric podcast, is available monthly at twotruefreaks.com. The sensational character find of 1940 Robin the Boy Wonder is 75 years old this year. He's looking good. He's looking exceptionally good. I bet you couldn't pull off those pants when you're 75. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'd want to pull off those pants when you're 75. Can you imagine you're a big long... No, anyway. <laughs> Making his debut in Detective Comics issue 38, cover dated April 1940, Robin's origin, as with all things related to the Batman... It's rather complicated. Bill Finger, then the writer responsible for chronicling the Batman's adventures, had complained about having a lead character have nobody to talk to, and Bob Kane responded by penciling out a quick sketch of a kid's sidekick for the Caped Crusader. Jerry Robinson, then the inker on the strip, said the character reminded him of Robin Hood and added the R symbol to the chest of the costume. His name, Robin, which like Batman also suggested a flying creature, stuck. He was then given a civilian name, Dick Grayson, and unusually for the time, an origin, more on that later, and the first of the kid sidekicks was born. Or if you prefer a more fanciful telling of Robin's beginnings, you can read the rather apocryphal telling of how Robin came to be in The Real Story of Batman and Robin from Real Fact Comics Issue 5, but I recommend reading that whilst chugging away at the salt. In fact, calling it Real Fact Comics would seem to be in contravenance of the meaning of the word fact. Robin was an instant success. Whilst Kane preferred a Batman who worked alone and was more of a ruthless vigilante, the sales success of Robin wasn't something he nor Finger could ignore. Kids are, after all, a rather impatient bunch, and whilst they may have wanted to grow up to be like Batman, Robin was who they could be now, always assuming they'd been training as an acrobat since they were four years old. It has been said that Robin's debut softened the Dark Knight, and this is, to a certain extent, true. But Batman had been softening a little since his debut anyway. No longer was he knocking people off buildings or shooting down biplanes and proclaiming a fitting end for their kind. By 1940, he was far more likely to capture the bad guys, and if they did meet a sticky end, it was likely by their own hand. Batman certainly seemed to smile more now that Robin was around. And nowhere was this more evident than on the cover of Tech 38, which featured Robin leaping through a paper-filled hoop. Similar to what dogs leap through, only Robin isn't humiliated into wearing a clown cap and a frilly collar. Although what he is wearing isn't much better. <laughs> no. Batman holds the hoop and grins broadly. It's signed by Bob Kane, and even Kane's many detractors have to concede that the 1940s were most of Kane's contributions took place. It's very likely inked by Jerry Robinson. The splash page of the comic is identical to the cover, which is a rarity even then. That has been mimicked and spoofed and copied many, many times, including coming up very soon, isn't it? Isn't there an issue of Batman and Robin coming up that's spoofing that cup, that very cover with Damien? Uh, no. Are you sure? Are you sure it's not a variant? Because we are celebrating Robin's 75th. I'm sure on the solicitations for Convergence this month, oh, right. that's one of the covers. In that case, Convergence probably, yeah. Yeah, because Convergence is happening. But personally, uh, when it comes to Convergence, Chip Kids covers are kicking butt. I don't think I've seen them. I think I kind of looked at... I mean, we're off topic now. Yeah. But I think we kind of looked at Convergence thought, oh, right, okay, that's a thing. 
It's an interesting thing. Yeah, and like you said earlier on, it doesn't affect the wider universe like Secret Wars does. But yeah. my reaction to Secret Wars was, oh, right, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. So. But no, Chip Kids variant covers for that are worth a look, actually. Right, I'll have a look to see what they're like. Speaking, what do you think of that cover, though? I don't want to say anything. <laughs> Go on, say something. There's a, there's a contingent of people that'll be quite happy you dunking on Bob Kane. I don't like it. Do you not like Bob Kane's art generally? Oh, no, I, I have nothing against Bob Kane. It's just the cover. Right. What, I mean, what I know, do you not like? I know we're in the, the, the era of silly covers, but... Well, it's symbolic of the fact that Robin is a circus acrobat. I guess, but why... Who are they posing for? Alfred for the family, for the yeah. family scrap? Alfred is taking that's exactly right. That is now a photo in the cave. And in that case, then, yeah, I, I quite like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to look at it logically, then, yeah, having Batman hold one of those hoops with paper and having Robin leap through it isn't very logical. Especially seeing as it, it, the, the art makes it look like Robin's leaping through a wormhole. Yeah. <laughs> and Batman just carries around a portable wormhole. In fact, I bet Grant Morrison Batman has a portable wormhole in his utility belt. Of course, yeah. And that's where he's getting Robin from. He's yeah. pulling him from an alternative dimension. Yeah. That's my thinking. They've just appeared from the Alpha Quadrant or whatever. Gamma so. Quadrant or something. Delta Quadrant. Yeah, it's more... Beta Quadrant. Symbolic. Yes. Than... I think, I think it's fine. It does the job. It's been much mocked. Mocked. Oh, yeah. Um, homage, not mocked. Yeah. The sensational character find of 1940. What is he finding? Oh, oh, under a rock or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, look in that tree. Yeah. It's a little boy. <laughs> I'm a Robin. <laughs> I need some words. Um, yeah, simply titled Robin the Boy Wonder Detective Comics issue 38 is quite remarkable as, even with the slight toning down of the Batman, this is still a dark and gritty story aided immeasurably by Kane and Robinson's quite crude yet incredibly evocative artwork. The story is also remarkable in that Dick Grayson gets an origin that it's explained and all tied up in the space of one short story, something that Batman wouldn't get until 1948. It's remarkably economical in its storytelling. Comics were back then. But what's truly interesting about Tech 38 is how little Robin's origin would change over the many years. Halley's Circus, the protection racket, Boss Zuko, the death of the Graysons, just to prove a point, Dick's training and swearing of the oath are all elements that would be retold with little alteration in many of the comics retellings of this story over the years. The training and adoption of Dick Grayson is glossed over in but a few panels, and Dick is quickly undercover as a paperboy and off-located the house of Boss Zuko, killer of his parents. The Batman then launches a campaign of terror against the crime lord, destroying his gambling dens, smashing his slot machines, and preventing his strong-arm tactics against the many people he's collecting protection money from. The action culminates on the Canine building, and whilst Batman may not kill people anymore, Robin certainly knocks a few of Zuko's goons from their perches. This Batman, however, chooses to gather evidence to convict Zuko rather than engaging in vigilante justice. And Robin will now be a permanent fixture of the strip. What was your opinion of Detective Comics 38, Michael? I liked it. I thought it was good. Regardless of its silly bits. You can gloss over the silly bits. No, that's what I did. Mm. Yeah, the whole paperboy thing and the guys beating up paperboys and stuff. I kind of got that as, oh yeah, this is just another silly bit. And, um, but apart from that, yeah, I, I, I really, I, I really did quite like it. I like that the whole training of Dick Dresden takes three panels. Yeah. And he's got a costume. There's none of this dicking around, oh, well, where did the costume come from? And yeah. Now, what's his name now? It's, he's Robin now, deal with it. 
Yeah. Move well, on. He wouldn't need much training, though, really, to be no, honest. No, no, well, th- well, that's something we'll come to when we get to the next comic, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, they just get on with it, don't they? I, We've decided to introduce a sidekick, here we go. I, I also find it funny how Robin just... Because at the end, that was pretty tense, that was a fight on the, uh, the girders. Yeah. But the fact that Robin just kicks people off the edge and kills them... He, he very... Yeah, he does, doesn't he? I thought this was just me. But there are, what, three, three instances at the end of this strip here of Robbie knocking people off the girders yeah because you can see how, how high they up they are with yeah. the other buildings and that's what I was going to say and they're not just like four or five feet off the floor no they're, they're quite high up here I mean the first guy he, he hurls the what's his name at him the bowler like David and Goliath yeah. doesn't he and he knocks him off yeah he's dead yeah he's not coming back from that <laughs> and then he swings over and knocks two more of them off because when you get up here there's only the one the guy, guy in the purple pinstripe suit has gone yeah so he's been so those two deaths yeah on Robin shoulders and then the guy in the blue suit and then the guy in the blue suit now to be fair here in this particular instance this one you can argue is self defence right okay Robin's hanging off the girder by his fingernails yeah and this guy's standing on his fingers yeah and Robin basically manages to gain purchase, flip himself underneath the girder and kicks the guy in the arse, yeah. and the guy falls off. Mm-hmm. So I would I would gear that one self-defence. Okay. The guy's still dead. <laughs> it's self-defence or not. Batman's but, always fighting his self-defence. But where the hell was Batman for these two pages? <laughs> you think Batman's just like, let's see what the boy's got? Dep- we? It will depend on which Batman, yeah? <laughs> so Batman just shows up right at the last instant and only because fat boss Zuko has got a gun levelled on Robin yeah so you get the distinct impression Batman was like let's see what the boy can do so you've just let him kill all those people yeah I, I also love um, that that last panel the last few panels of God like, oh, you want to go back to normal life now what are you going to see he's like oh no I want to stay and like, oh, of course you reckless little squirt <laughs> I ought to wail you for jumping those <laughs> yeah. men alone why didn't you wait for me oh there you go Batman wasn't there yet. And why didn't you wait for me? Oh, well, because you were watching. Because I wanted you to spank me, Bruce. <laughs> That's what he wanted. Okay. Uh, you know. No, there's none of that filth going on. Um, it is, it's, a, it's a really fun, uh, yet still quite dark little story, isn't it? Yeah. It's very um, of its time. It is always interesting to look at Golden Age Batman and see how quickly he got toned down compared to what he was like in the early days. And how he got toned down quicker than Superman did. Yeah. Which was quite remarkable. It was good though, wasn't it? Mm. It was a terse, tight little tale. I feel it it really does underline how flexible the DC stable of origins are. Yeah. You know, the Marvel Universe heroes, they're very much tied to the Atomic Age. And they, they require constant updating, and it's always been ten years since Captain America came out of the ice or whatever. Yeah. So you stuff like that when you think about it, and you go, all right, so Cap only thawed out now in 2005? Yeah. So all that stuff's always a little bit woolly. But DC's heroes of origins, they're all pretty timeless. Well, um, I was listening recently to Scroobius Pip talking to Alan Moore on his... Uh, podcast. You listen to podcasts? I listen to Scrooby's Pips. Oh, That's right. how bored at work I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what he was saying was uh, Superman is one of the only, if not the only, superhero who has a rural uh, origin. Mm-hmm. Because he grew up to be the defender of the oppressed, mm. the working people. In the, the golden age you are. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's always been his origin. 
because Superman... Well, Superman's a working-class hero. Yeah, exactly. So his origin never changed because he still always... He still stands for what he's always stood for. Yeah. So that's never changed, but he compared it to other things, like what he did compare it to was Godzilla. Okay. When the origin of Godzilla is that he represented the atomic bomb. Oh, right. So that was what it was. But then when nuclear energy became our friend... In the later movies, Godzilla became our friend. Right. So his story changed because his his meaning changed. And because Superman's meaning has never changed, Superman stayed the same. Right. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. I'd have to listen to what he actually said. Because, you know, despite some of my animosity to what Alan Moore says in interviews, he's quite a smart guy. Yeah, yeah. Isn't he? So, you know. Anyway, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I thoroughly, I think it's a, a jolly good introduction to our teen wonder that is uh, Robin. He actually has a solo, solo story in this Batman in the 40s called uh, Clocks of Doom. I wish I'd realised that when they covered that <laughs> one as well. But we didn't, so it doesn't matter. Robin's hero, Robin's origin was covered in the animated series after Robin's Reckoning, the movie Batman Forever and even the new 52 version of Robin's origin. They're all pretty similar to this original story, aren't they? Yeah. Not, not very much has changed about it. Although in this original, Dick Grayson's clearly meant to be around, what, 10, 12, yeah. you think? Mm. So a little bit older than Bruce was when he was orphaned, but still 10 to 12 years of age. Yeah. In the new 52, because of the five-year timeline, wasn't he about 15? Something like that. I don't yeah. think that works as well, because it basically means Bruce only has guardianship of him for two years, two mm. or three years. It doesn't... It's much better if he adopts him when he's eight, nine, ten years of age. Yeah. I think. But, you know, that's just me. Yeah, we read that in Batman in the 40s, because I love these in the trade paperbacks, don't I? We yeah. should do some more of them, I think they're great. In addition, the comics themselves have revisited the origin of Dick Grayson many times over the years. Most notably, post the Crisis on Infinite Earths in Batman Year 3. Year 3, as the title implies, takes place in the third year of Batman's career and follows up the earlier years 1 and 2. It's amazing how they throw this stuff (laughs) together, isn't it? This time it told the tale of Dick Grayson's introduction into Bruce Wayne's life. Despite boasting some excellent George Perez covers tying into the death of the second Robin, Jason Todd, more about him later, and being really quite good, Year 3 was almost immediately ignored and never collected into trade paperback, practically unheard of nowadays, when any old piece of shit gets a hardcover deluxe edition or omnibus. (laughs) It would take nearly a decade for the creative types at DC to retell Robin's origin, but when they did... It was in fine style. Legends of the Dark Knight issue 100, cover dated November 1997, was like Legends of the Dark Knight issue 50, a one-off special edition. Whereas issue 50 retold the origin of the Joker, this issue not only retold Dick Grayson's origin, but also marked Robin's debut in the title. The cover is by Alex Ross and would be reused for the trade paperback Robin the Teen Wonder that reprinted this story in 2009. Other than that, like Year 3, this story seems to be largely ignored. The cover features a smiling, clearly no more than 13 years of age, Robin swinging his bowler as he leaps into action as Batman drops in behind him. In the foreground, a representation of Dick taking the oath with Batman from Tech issue 38. Not the most spectacular work Ross has done, but eye-catching in that way that Ross's work was in the early days. What do you think? I like it. It's quite a quiet cover. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. yeah it, does. It, it says, look, Robin's going to be in Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah. And lots of, uh, lots of fans go, no, Robin ruins Batman! 
and lots of kids go, hey, Robin. Because as would be proven again, right. in Batman the Animated Series, kids love Robin. Why do you think the second series was called Batman, The Adventures of Batman Robin. and Robin? Yeah. Well, it's because kids can relate to Robin. Kids love Robin a is little, a kid. Yeah, kids love a little bit of Robin. I almost said kids love a little bit of Dick. <laughs> but I changed my mind and didn't actually say it. I think if Dick was actually um, a, a Robin, he, he'd like a bit of Red Bush. Moving on. <laughs> the Choice was written by Denny and Eel with, uh, by Dave Taylor and was based upon a story by Bob Kay, Bill Finger and Jerry Robinson. Dick Grayson sees a man harassing Haley, owner of the circus, where he, as part of the Flying Grayson's tremendously successful trapeze artist, performs. The man informs Haley that Boss Zuko wants a piece of the action, see, and that Haley best meet Zuko at Oxy's barn to negotiate a protection deal before something happens, see. That night, the Flying Graysons meet the Doom and the trapeze rope is doused with acid. And Bruce Wayne, who is in the audience, having heard Zuko is moving into Gotham, witnesses the tragedy. That night, the Batman returns to the circus to investigate and sees Dick asking the man who earlier threatened Haley. The man is about to kill another Grayson when the Batman intervenes and takes Dick for some medical attention. With Alfred looking after Dick, the Batman follows the trail back to Zuko, discovering corruption in the police force that has allowed the only suspect, the man who harassed Haley, to die. But before the Batman can get to Zuko, Dick has beaten him to the punch. The Batman is impressed by the kid's chutzpah, but not his lack of planning, and after taking down Zuko and proving his drug smuggling operation as well as his protection racket, Bruce talks to Dick. Zuko died in the ambulance of a heart attack, but Bruce was impressed that Dick didn't want Zuko to die, instead preferring justice. He offers Dick a job, a partnership, a gig Dick gratefully accepts. Uh, there are, quite obviously, numerous parallels between this story and Detective Comics issue 38. The first is that Dick witnesses Haley being beaten by Zuko's stronger men. It's a little bit more violent here yeah. than in the 1941, although the 1941 was moderately violent mm. for its time, wasn't it? The violent in different ways. Yeah, this, this is more overt violence yeah isn't it this is more punching him in the gut and getting his specs knocked off his face uh, Dave Taylor provided the artwork and it looks like it's shot directly from the pencils yeah it doesn't look like there's an inker involved in this I, the couple of times I've seen this being done I've always quite liked it and it's not something they could really pull off in the early days of comics due to the printing but Legends of the Dark Knight was a high end book and newer printing technologies improve the look of the art and the colours. I think it, it's quite effective, isn't it? Yeah. Does that, is that what they've done with it? It, it looks like, or at least um, the outlines looking. See, if you look at the figures, they looked. Or maybe he's just done really, really, really thick pencils. Yeah. For the figures. But it looks like you know, artwork for, say, a western or a horror story. It's it's really good. Yeah, Except I like for it. He's he's his characters kind of look a little off point at times. Yeah, I think I've got that note somewhere down the line. It's some places it's brilliant, and some places they're off model. Yeah, but it's, it's certainly an effective way of telling the storyline, isn't it? Mm. Of doing it, of, of penciling it out that way. I quite like it. I think it's uh, it's quite good. Oh, Denny O'Neill manages to use the expanded page count for expanding the storyline a little bit and advancing the characterization a little bit more than they did in Tet 30 out. He fleshes the Graysons, Richard and Murray, out a little bit. Granted, he doesn't do it that much. Mm. The Graysons' purpose is still to die. But it's nice to see that Dick was a loved child 
Isn't yeah. there a version of this where he's, he's basically neglected? I get well. Which version's that? I don't know, he might be loved, but he's still ignored. Well, they've, they've got to go to work. I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Just because they work in the circus, they've still, you know, got to go and earn the money, I suppose. O'Neill has a very good reason for Bruce being at the circus on his own. Yeah. Which I thought was quite good. He is already aware that Boss Zuko is moving into into Gotham, into his territory. And uh, he's investigating because he thinks he's coming in with the circus, doesn't he? Yeah. Or he knows he's part of the circus or something like that. Sometimes these retcons will over-explain something. And other times they work. And actually I think this one worked. Yeah. Because that was one of the things about the 38 one, what Bruce just goes to the circus on his own. But it's a different time, wasn't it? In 1940, the circus was your only entertainment yeah. apart from the radio. Mm. It's not like he could watch telly or anything. So, yeah. So maybe that was more a case of explaining why Bruce would go to the circus in, in the modern yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So I liked that. I thought it worked quite well. There's also a really nice touch. There's a family of three, notice. Yeah. Which I thought was quite clever. Uh, who can't go in because Dad's forgot the wallet. Yeah. <laughs> and Bruce offers to pay for them. And then he pays for everybody who's in the queue. He does. Which I thought was uh, a nice touch as well. Nice little character beat. Because originally he's only going to pay for the three of them. Mm. And then he goes, uh, I'll pay for everybody. Because, you know, I'm Bruce Wayne. Wacky zillionaire. Wacky zillionaire, yes. And I like that they don't make a big deal about Bruce's reason for doing that. It's not like he's looked at them and said they've got an only child. Yeah. Oh, that could have been us. I thought that was really quite subtle. Mm. And I like that. I thought it was very good. Uh, it's also nice that Bruce never stops thinking about his training. He's watching the Graysons. And he realises that they're better than he is. Yeah. Which I thought was nice. And that he could learn something from them. Mm. So he's always thinking about improving himself. And I like the idea that one of his reasons for maybe bringing Dick in is that Dick can make him better. Learn from each other. Yeah. So I thought that was quite quite subtle as well. Uh, Bruce goes down after the Graysons die and he picks up the rope. Yeah. So basically he's stealing evidence from a crime scene. Yeah, I noticed that. Isn't he? Yeah. How many times does Batman do that? Steal oh. evidence from a crime scene? Yeah. I mean, there are still some lovely little touches here by Denny O'Neill and the artist. Bruce noting the look on Dick's face as he watches his parents die is a look that he recognises. And he instantly works out that the ropes were severed, that there's something wrong with them, doesn't he? He looks at them and goes, right, these weren't cut. Yeah. So he's already been a detective, which I thought was nice. And there's a great movie. What would... In the uh, in a movie would be the hero's resolve moment, mm. the minute where he decides he's going to do something about it, uh, where Bruce dons the cowl and uh, tells Alfred, "I don't know who did this or why they did it, but I will." And it's a wonderful Batman moment because you know that he will find out who did this, yeah. and it's not going to go well for them. So that was I like that, and I like that he's just pulling the cowl on in the side of the car, yeah. So he took his Batman costume with him to the circus. Of course. He always does. <laughs> Never leave home without it. No, no. <laughs> uh, Dick Grayson was quite plucky in the 1940s version. And here he's, he's, he's more plucky in this one. Because mm. he actively confronts the people who he overheard threatening Haley, And then later he goes to confront Zuko on his own. Yeah. I, I get why people like Batman working solo. But I also see why Dick became a favourite, including me. 
but apparently not Dan DiDio. Uh, there's a lot to like about Dick Grayson. Yeah. I think. He's he's full of courage and pluck. He's capable oh. of the courage and pluck. <laughs> he's capable, inventive, but he's not too cocky or a smart-ass, which no. I think is where Jason fell down, isn't it? Yeah. And Damien comes across a bit cocky as well. For a reason. Yeah, but he, he, Damien actually comes across as being quite funny. He is. Which I, quite, I was quite surprised well, to see. that's because when it comes to Damien, you've read... Batman and Robin. Yeah. That's where he changed. That's where he becomes likeable. Because people didn't like Damien. They didn't really stick around with him long enough to see him change. Which was the point of the story. Yeah. Wasn't it? Which is... Because it's always harder to take a character that people don't like and make you like him. Mm. Which is which was the point of Damien's arc. Dick's dress sense frequently is uh, is pretty appalling. Disco collars. Yeah, well... And uh, he likes one too many bad puns. But he's quite a likeable character. He should be intolerable because he's handsome and smart and all the women love him. Yeah. So he should be that guy that we hate. But he's also one of the people that you know would stand up to bullies and everyone would love him. He'd yeah. be friends with everybody. He'd be friends with the jocks, he'd be friends with the geeks, everyone would like him. Which I think is his great big his big character thing, isn't it? Everybody likes Dick Grayson. Yeah. Should I put that as the title of the episode? Everyone loves Dick. <laughs> Brackets, Grayson. <laughs> Do you not think people like different dicks? <laughs> you know what I mean? I know what you mean. It's just so childish. Because personally, I prefer Nightwing to Robin. Uh, yeah, but you ha- he has to have been Robin to get to Nightwing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nightwing only really works because you've got that backstory. There is that, but I prefer him as Nightwing. I prefer him as Nightwing. Yeah. But I like him having the relationship that he has with Batman that he has as Nightwing. Yeah. But like I say, you can only get to Nightwing through 50 years of him being Robin. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I get what you're saying, but you need that backstory. Yeah. For it to work as well as it does. If you were just introduced to them now with Nightwing and you saying that he used to be the teen sidekick, I don't think it would work as well. Yeah. I think you need to, to establish that 50 years worth of backstory. Alfred, as ever is the voice of sanity and reason, be it asking if there is any reason other than Dick knows something for them to take him to the manor and making pointed jokes at Bruce's expense. Which is what he's there for, isn't it? Crucially, though, and we've mentioned this before when Denny O'Neill wrote a Batman story, O'Neill never has Alfred be too snarky or disrespectful. He always has him walk that line and he always has Bruce give as good as he gets. Yeah which a lot of writers don't do. Some writers do make me wonder why Batman even keeps Alfred around. <laughs> yeah. Because he's just such a snarky bastard, you'd just fire him, wouldn't you? <laughs> that's, you know, that's what I'd do anyway. Uh, it's the midpoint of the story where O'Neill not only starts nailing the small character moments, like Batman telling Alfred he's going to have to let the Zuko case drop because some nutter is committing robberies and leaving riddles. Yeah. And it's... This, his conversation with Dick, where he sees Dick's face, and once again, he recognises something in him mm. that makes him go, oh, all right, the, the guy with the, the riddles, he's, he's, he's going to have to wait. I've got some business across the river. Alfred almost smiles. Yeah. Which was nice. And then it, it diverges quite significantly from the original. There's more of Batman tracking down Zuko and piecing together the evidence and working it all out, proving that Zuko's involved with this. Yeah. 
whereas in the original Dick Grayson just finds out where he lives and then Batman goes alright oh, okay let's start kicking some ass yeah yeah Batman actually does some detective work in this one doesn't he and it's pretty much it's a late development here that Dick knows Bruce is Batman mm. whereas in the original he knows pretty much from page 4 doesn't he yeah so they change that ever so slightly Zuko also dies of a heart attack which yeah. in the original he doesn't die does he he gets, he gets taken away which was the one where Batman gives Dick the opportunity to either kill him isn't that, isn't him that the animated series episode because doesn't he give him an axe which is a pretty badass way to uh, I can't remember I've not watched Robin's written it for a while but I remember thinking the episode's really good it might be the animated one, to be honest. All right, I'll get to Robin's Reckoning because we're rewatching some of them. <laughs> I do like the animated series. Never get bored of watching that. The ending is odd. Yeah, I thought I... this is the only bum note for the story. It Bruce outlining from the get go he will not be Dick's father. I didn't like that. I didn't. I didn't like that. At to all. be honest, it wasn't the father thing that stuck out to me. What was it? Because with the father thing, maybe that's what he set out to become, but as their relationship grew, mm. that's how they became. What stuck out for me was was Bruce saying, Right, if you're gonna t- if you if you're gonna be my partner then here, here's your costume already prepared and here's your name and this is what you're gonna do and this is all what I've set out and this is who you are because I say so. Mm. Whereas, well, in originally you didn't get any of that. He's just Robin. No, at least originally you still get the impression that Dick chose that for himself. Yeah. Whereas he, Batman's got it all marked out for him. Yeah. Right. Okay. See, my my thing is just I prefer that. I don't know. I prefer it that eventually Bruce adopts him. And yeah. you know, I I think that makes the relationship better. Well, I think. That's why it didn't bother me about the I will not be your father thing. Because I kind of... With a hindsight thing, I think I kind of liked it. Mm. Because to me it was, this is who we're going to be, but it wasn't who they did become to be. Mm. Well, Alfred has that line at the end, teacher, mentor, partner, but never a father. Of course, Master Bruce. Yeah. Of course. So he's like, yeah, all right. Mm. We know what's going on. I do, yeah, alright, you can read it that way, and it works that way. I did like that there was a little parallel here with what happened with Jason, before uh, Jason got killed. Dick doesn't want Zuko to die. Yeah. Dick doesn't want vengeance. Dick wants him to go to jail for what he did. Yeah. And Bar- Bruce is kind of like, alright kid, you've got something going on. There's no suffering if he just died in the ambulance. Yeah, whereas with... Jason, Jason lets somebody die, and it's ambiguous whether he fell or whether Jason pushed him. Yeah. And then at that point, Batman's like, I don't think this kid's got it. Mm. So I kind of like that, because this was after that. Yeah. So I like that you can piece those two together if you want to. Mm. Jason was much more eye for an eye. Dick was all about justice. Yeah. Which is why Dick was a better partner. For Batman, anyway. Um, Up until... The rather rushed ending, and it is rushed. Yeah. That last page is is a bit rushed. This was quite an entertaining retelling of Robin Day One. O'Neill peppers his script with neat character moments, some touching scenes rather than the more modern-day propensity for Easter eggs and snark. 
He diverges from the original tale more out of necessity than anything in the latter half, but this better demonstrates Dick's ingenuity and smart, as well as his ability to think with his heart rather than his head, a character trait that differentiates him from his mentor. Dave Taylor's art is interesting. There are some moments where it's especially good and others where it looks horribly off-model, but this was an interesting take on the original. Both are good in their own way. The 1940s version features a gritty, enhanced reality that the 97 version lacks, but the 97 version has much better characterisation and motivations. Yeah. So, what do you think? Uh, no, I can say my favourite's the original. You think? Very definitely. Yeah, I, right. there was something I liked. There's something earthy. Well, I liked this one, Yeah. but I didn't like the modernisation of it. Right. Why can't Tony Zuko just be the the a mob boss and like he was in the original gambling dance? Yeah. Why does he have to be? Why does he have to hang out in strip clubs mm. with the implied hooker girlfriend mm. and smuggle dope? Why does it need to be so modernly dark? Yeah. What's wrong with him just running a protection racket? Yeah. Well, it's, um, I think that was in The Godfather, wasn't it? That uh, there was one who was like, "I'm not touching drugs," and yeah. all he eventually gets taken out. Because drugs are where the money are. Yeah. Is. So, maybe he's just had to diversify. <laughs> Could be, yeah. But, you know. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And then, you know, ultimately, I think, yeah, I think the 30, the 1941's better. Yeah, even with the silly bits. Because it's like... Yeah, because it's very much a part of what it was. Yeah, they're both... Um, well, they're both a sign of the time, really. They're the same story, but yeah. one's overly silly, the other's overly gritter. But there's grit in the 1941 as well. Even though there are moments of yeah. moments that make you go um <laughs> in the nineteen forties one. All right, uh, the second person to adopt the mantle of Robin the Boy Wonder was Jason Todd. Jason's origins are complicated. After being created to be a Dick Grayson clone, something writer Jerry Conway says he was instructed to do by DC, he first appeared in Batman issue 357. Dick Grayson caused the death of his parents in Detective Comics issue 526, and Todd became Robin for the first time in Batman issue 366. This year is his not-too-impressive 32nd birthday. After the crisis, Todd's origin was revamped in Batman issue 408, and his history was rewritten to make him less a dick clone and more an unlikable brat. He was killed by Reader Vote in Batman issue 428. We kind of wanted these shows to be about Dick Grayson, but as there is a Jason Todd story in this issue of Legends of the Dark Knight, we thought we may as well at least mention him. Yeah. Eh. So, here we go. A Great Day for Everyone was by James Robinson and Lee Weeks and is a neat little tale featuring Bruce musing about the day Jason took on the mantle of Robin as he searches for his dead body amidst the rubble. What a downer of an ending. But that's what life is, a series of downer endings, and apparently our entertainment needs to reflect that all of the time. Robinson's script is good, although I deduct points for mentioning once again... That Jason met Batman stealing the wheels off the Batmobile. <laughs> Lee Weeks' art's great. Weeks is a much underrated artist and his work is very pleasing here. What did you think of this one, Michael? I really, really liked it. Did you? Yeah. Because it had me... Liking Jason Todd? No, it had me doubting myself and it proved me wrong as I was reading it. Why? Because... I thought the artwork was great all the way through it. Yeah, Lee Weeks is brilliant. But I'm reading it, and it's not quite apparent who's doing the voiceovers in the different 
time period. Oh, right. And it's not quite apparent that they are two different time periods. Oh, right, I see what you mean. So yeah. I'm reading it, and Dick and Jason's... Well, it doesn't matter either way, it's the same person. Mm. But Jason's on his way to the back, to the Batcave, and he's very excited, and he's, he's going to be robbing. This is the day, and Batman... Is in his jet and he's like, oh, this is just a distraction for me, taking me away from where I'm going. He's like, oh, right, okay, so a different writer. Batman's going to be a bit of a dick to his new Robin. Right. And then he shows up and he's like, oh, this is uh, your new costume and you're going to be Robin now. And, like, after reading what I've just read, I'm like, oh, Batman, you're just lying to your new partner. You're being, you know... And then that last page happens and... Yeah, you think that the page where you get the credits is the end of the story, don't you? Yeah. And then you turn the page and there's two more pages. Yeah, and it was then I was like, you know, ah, I was wrong. It's, to me, I thought it was really cleverly written that I was wrong and I did doubt myself. And the, the, the stories are completely different meaning when you finished it than it did when you were reading it. Right, very good. Okay. Well done, media studies boy. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I thought it was alright. You know, stealing the wheels off the Batmobile. Could have done without that again. I, no, I, I actually quite liked Alfred taking the piss out of that. Yeah, well... Of course, I first met Batman when he caught me stealing his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it when I tried to steal the family silver? I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. That is funny. And Jason's reaction there is... And Alfred's like, I'm joking. I, yeah. I do that sometimes. So, again, though, you've got that they've got a different relationship. Dick would have known he was joking. Yeah. Dick would have probably played along with it. Mm. So Jason's a much more serious character than Dick is. Good, though. Yeah. yeah that's a nice little backup story. It's a nice way to get both Robins into the story. There's no um, Tim Drake, really, but we don't really need a Tim Drake story in this one. Uh, Legends of the Dark Knight issue 100 is a great single issue in a medium that used to make great single issues. But now I've no real interest in doing stuff like that, does it? No. It's not a straight paperback, so they don't care. After these two great lead stories, there's a series of pin-ups of other Robins, and then some others that they just had lying around the office. Yeah, yeah. It starts off as a celebration of Robin, doesn't it? And you get a lovely poster of Carrie Keller by Frank Miller, back when Frank Miller could still draw hands. <laughs> and uh, that's actually really rather good. It is, yeah. Carrie Kelly as, uh, as Robin, that's really quite good. And then you turn the page and Gene Ha's done one of Batman and Robin, really hates his Batman. Yeah, he's not quite Gene Ha yet, is he? No, he's, he's not quite there yet. And then you've got Walt Sammonson with Batman and Manhunter, and you're going, what's Manhunter got to do with Robin? Didn't Walter Simonson create Manhunter? He did, but what's that got... This, this issue's celebrating Robin. Well... What the hell? <laughs> but then it just gets more... Then you've got Joe Quisada doing Batman and Azrael. Fat Man. Yeah, yeah. Rather than Batman. And then the next one, on page 54, by John Estes... Yeah. That's just Batman swinging into Commissioner Gordon. I like it, but... It's, it's a good piece of art. I'll, uh, I will give you that. Yeah. And then you've got Catwoman and Batman by Dusty Abel. I really like that one as well. Oh, there's nothing wrong with these posters that they just seem to have found yeah. lying at the bottom of the drawer. And then you've got Batman and Birds of Prey. And they've tentatively said, oh, it's Batman and his partners. And you're like, really? Well, is it Azrael's a, a partner? Is it not a Legend of the Dark Knight anniversary pin-up gallery? Uh, no, it's just posters they had in the drawer that they've never put anywhere. That's what it was. And then on page 57, you've got Curtis Wan and Klaus Janssen, Batman, Robin and Tim Drake. Yeah, you can tell that's Klaus Janssen. Sorry, Nightwing and Tim Drake. Yeah, you can tell it's uh, Curtis Wan as well. Can you? Yeah. I can't see any Curtis Wan. Can you not in, in Batman's wing again? 
I don't know, because... It looks a bit of Kurt Swan to me. Honestly, I kind of think that one's a bit bad. Yeah, I, I don't I, think I, it's... I didn't know it was Kurt Swan because it looked like bad Klaus Janssen. It's, it is not very good, which saddens me to say that I wrote Kurt Swan, but uh, it isn't. George Pratt's drew Batman and Enemy Ace, which you can't see what the hell's going on because it's too damn dark. That's Enemy Ace? Apparently that's Enemy Ace, according to this. Yeah, page 58, George Pratt, Batman and Enemy Ace. As in World War Two, yeah. World War One fighter pilot. I, I, I would be hard pressed to say to you what that was about. Is that Robin Hood? I don't know. Tending to be enemies. It could be. Mignola. And Mike Mignola does Batman and Ragman, and then there's a cover gallery of some of the best covers from 100 issues of Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah, and that pretty much sums up that issue. It is also been 25 years since the debut of the third Robin if we don't count Carrie Kelly. <laughs> Thanks to Michael Bailey for pointing that out. Uh, Tim Drake debuted in Batman Year 3 as a bystander at the circus where the Graysons were killed. After Jason died, he became worried about Batman's sanity, tracked him down and worked out his ID, stating that Batman needs a Robin in the A Lonely Place of Dying story arc. He finally stepped into a modified Robin costume designed by Neil Adams and quickly became arguably Robin for an entire generation of readers, being the first Robin to carry his own title. Dick had only ever managed it as part of a team, the Titans, or in backup strips. Dick Grayson, meanwhile, had given up on being Robin, either due to falling out with Batman or by mutual consent, depending on which continuity you follow, and adopted the name Nightwing in the Judas Contract, a Teen Titans arc from Teen Titans issue 44. Quickly gaining his own title, one of the best things about Tim and Dick was the big brother-little brother relationship, and this was never better handled than in Nightwing issue 25, cover dated October 1998. The cover is by Scott McDaniel and is rather unusual. The logo runs down the side, and we're reading this in the Love and Bullets trade paperback, so you'll have to bear with me a second while I find the cover. Uh, the logo runs down the side as Robin and Nightwing leap around the skyscraper, so the logo should be there, mm. basically. Uh, I'm a mark for Scott McDaniel, and I actually love his work on Nightwing, uh, along with Inca Carl's story. I think he became one of the definitive Nightwing artists. He also provided the interior art, and Chuck Dixon wrote it. What do you think of that cover? I really like it. It is good, isn't it? Batman and Robin... Uh, Batman and Robin. Yeah. Nightwing and Robin in silhouette as they dance around what looks like a junkyard, doesn't it? Or a destroyed building. Yeah, or a destroyed building. It doesn't uh, really reflect the story. No, but sometimes... I mean, I don't know if this is still true today... But back in the day, covers were sometimes drawn well ahead of the stories. Yeah. So Chuck Dixon may said, right, I'm going to do an issue that's just Nightwing and Robin. Oh, yeah, I and think it's still the same is it? thing. And Scott McDaniel said, right, I'll bang out a cover for that then. Yeah. I mean, you often see, like, signatures that are dated yeah. months way before. Right. So, you know, maybe that's, that's all it was. The Boys is the title of the story, I think. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Nightwing is taking Robin out for some alone time. Blindfolded, they navigate the city, but Robin nearly misses the train. Quite literally, a situation that could end in his death, as Nightwing's night on the town involves train hopping blindfolded. Nightwing is pretty sure-footed until Robin mentions his girlfriend is pregnant. It's not his, and she doesn't know the secret, which eases Nightwing's mind a little bit. He tells Robin he should maybe avoid so complex a situation, even as Robin points out that Nightwing is the king of the complex relationship. 
Despite the many and varied grace and conquests, the only one Nightwing will admit to being in error is the Huntress, one Robin knew nothing about. Nightwing goes silent on the subject of Barbara Gordon as they discuss life, the Batman and everything. They do not realise, however, that, like an old western, hoods are robbing the freight train. They almost get a drop on the younger dynamic duo, but Nightwing twigs just before his cranium makes contact with a crowbar. Even blindfold, the hoods are no match for the former boy wonder and his successor, and with the test at an end, Nightwing tells Robin it's time to go home on the northbound train. Nightwing plays a mean trick on Robin, smiling as he asks if Robin compensated for the different speeds of the teen wonder nearly stumbles and falls as they leap onto the adjoining train. Nightwing merely grins, pointing out that he was much younger than Robin when he first did this, and Robin gets his own back by asking about Barbara. The end. Considering not a lot happened in this comic, that was quite a long synopsis, wasn't yeah. it? I love the opening. Both of them blindfolded, so the actual first page is just black. Yeah. It's got McDaniel got paid for that page. <laughs> Do they get paid by the page? If, yeah, they get page rates. Oh, right. That's what they get. So if John Byrne got paid for the issue of Alpha Flight that was just all white, right. Scott McDaniel better have got paid for that. Because <laughs> uh, the Inca did all the work. Yeah. All the colorists. <laughs> all the colorists, yeah, the colorists just went splat with some ink. <laughs> and the uh, job was done. Good opening, though. You then get a proper splash page of uh, Nightwing and Robin leaping on top of a moving train, and you've got that wonderful Dick OS Spider-Man thing that McDaniel used to do all the time of duplicates of them on the page showing the movement. Yeah. And I do like that Nightwing is a little bit more graceful than Robin. Yeah. And yeah. comes to a stop quicker. Yeah. And so, on the next panel, Robin actually falls on his ass. Yeah. So just visually... They're setting out the differences between the two of them, which I thought was quite clever yeah. and, uh, and exceptionally well done. I do love the moment where Robin tells Nightwing that his girlfriend's pregnant. Mm. <laughs> that was funny. Nightwing nearly falls off the train. I like the, the facial expressions and their actions in a lot of it. Scott McDaniel is absolutely brilliant at facial expressions. Yeah, because the, the expressions enhance the story mm. and even tell the story better. Um, with the dialogue as well. Yeah. Like, the, the faces and actions make it that much better. Yeah, well, the, the, the it's page 90 of the trade. Nightwing's very calm and smiling, and Robin's very worried. Yeah. And then when they're doing the, like, Tai Chi stuff, Robin's wobbling all over the place. Yeah. And Nightwing's just the king of cool. Until... Until... Robin dumps the news until on him. Until Robin dumps the news on him, which uh, made me smile. And, uh, I love this conversation. Like, you always pick the stable ones. What's that supposed to mean? Let's see. An alien, a goddess, a murderer, a suspected murderer, your landlady. Oh, and the crime fighter normally known as Batgirl, as he lists off yeah. all of Nightwing's conquests. And I love that Nightwing doesn't take it too seriously. Yeah. He just kill you a little twerp. When, when was Nightwing ever married, though? That's after this, isn't it? No, he says he Oh, no, yeah, you're right, he mentions it in this. I don't remember. No, I, 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 I didn't, didn't remember, remember him being married either. Corey, Donna, Maggie, Miggy, wasn't a murderer when I met her. <laughs> that makes it all okay. <laughs> yeah. Emily, well, she wasn't really a murderer, she just thought she was when I married her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember who Emily was. To be honest with you, Clancy's his, his landlady, so maybe we missed something somewhere. Maybe, yeah, I don't. Know, he's never been married in the Nightwing series by Dixon because we've got all those trades, haven't we? Yeah, because we've read these a number of times. Yeah, because uh, we genuinely do love this series. Um, 
the playful relationship between the two of them is ongoing throughout the issue, which is delightful. I love that Nightwing offers advice, but he never actually pushes Robin. And yeah. then Robin just teases Nightwing about his many girlfriends. He pays particular attention to Barbara Gordon, mm. which I thought was interesting. I thought the Barbara stuff was uh, was quite fascinating. They both nearly fall off the train when kids just throw rocks from a, a bridge above them, which is actually a real thing. Yeah. Kids do stupid things to move in trains. I don't understand why, but, you know. The key conversation, I thought, was the key moment in the book, really, was the one about Jason. Where Nightwing and Robin both admit to thinking that what happened to Jason could happen to them. And they both come to the conclusion they're not in it for the long haul. And like you said, the body language and the facial expressions just change yeah. when they're talking about Jason, don't they? Nightwing's not happy-go-lucky anymore. He's a lot more glum and serious. And Tim's just more pensive and thoughtful. Yeah. As both of them are realising, yeah, I don't think we'll ever... I don't think we'll do this forever. Well, it's one of those conversations as well which shows the similarities and differences of all the Robins just by talking about one. Mm. Because I like the different reactions. He doesn't actually come out and say his name. He just says, do you ever think about him? And Nightwing says, who? The other Robin. They don't say Jason. They never say Jason until further down the page. Is it one of those things as well where it's painful for them just as much as it is for Batman because they know that they will be in his shoes one day? Mm. And they know that Batman now overcompensates because of what happened to Jason. So I I love Nightwing's reaction. It's just, oh... Sometimes. Like, every now and again I'll give him some thought. Yeah. For the most part. And you know he's lying. Yeah. You know that he thinks about it all the time. Whereas, whereas Tim's honest. Well, that's the, um, also the relationship between Dick and Bruce. Yeah. Dick is more like Bruce than he cares to admit. Yes. But there are other times when he's nothing like him. Yeah. Which is fathers and sons. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? I'm nothing like you. <laughs> you are. There are moments where, yeah. Okay. There's more of your mum oh, in yeah. you than yeah. there is me. But there's there's occasionally what's that? Okay. And same with Adam as well. There are moments with Adam where I go, that's me. And I hated it when I did that, so stop it. Look, just because we take the piss out of mum does not mean we're similar <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah, but that's fun. Yeah. Surely that's that's part of uh, part of the fun of doing it. They both seem to agree that A, neither of them could do a 9-to-5 job. Yeah. And B, Batman will never quit. Yeah. So... Did I also have the conversation about Dick becoming a policeman? Yeah, well, he, he becomes a policeman in this, the Chuck Dixon stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. He does later on, doesn't he? But it makes sense... If Dick were to get a job, it makes sense that it would be as a policeman. Well, was it post-Zero Hour they had Bruce become an FBI agent? I've no idea. And then he quits because he just can't handle the bureaucracy. That's not... He try Before he becomes Batman, he tries to do it yeah. through proper channels. And he becomes an FBI agent. Right. And I, th- I think that's post-Zero Hour. Right. And it's never been mentioned again. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those Zero Hour things that were swiftly forgotten it, it about. sounds interesting. Yeah, because you, you come to the thing that, what, Bruce Wayne trained to be an FBI agent. Yeah. Surely that would come up in the tabloids. Yeah. Some investigative journalist would find that out about him, wouldn't it? And yeah. trained to be FBI. Why? But it gives him another reason to be Batman. Yeah. Which is why I like 
Dick becoming a policeman because now he's fighting law on both sides. Mm. Well, it's kind of like the Daredevil thing, isn't it? Yeah. Just he's being blind enough. Only, you know, he's putting criminals in day... He's putting criminals in jail during the day and taking them out and of getting jail them off. During, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depending on what he's doing, yeah. I, I love... The ending is really good as well. Where um, Robin starts needling Nightwing about Barbara. And he says he'll tell Batman about Dick and the Huntress if he doesn't tell him all about Barbara. <laughs> which is cute. Mm. It's a nice, cute little moment. There's also a moment as well where Nightwing cheats... And yeah, lifts the blindfold yeah. up just to make sure that the guys that they've been fighting are dead. Because Tim's all, they fell off the train, they're going to be dead. And Nightwing's, ah, oh, no, they fell in the water, they're fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it, everything's good. Uh, an excellent little character study. Wrapped up in the, the kind of action that Dixon was so very, very good at. It's slightly lacking in credibility that Nightwing is so good at this, blindfolded. But hey, he was trained by Batman. Yeah. So I buy it. <laughs> Dixon was great at melding character and action. I doubt he could write a boring talking heads issue if he tried. And it saddens me that he seems to be on the outs with DC at the moment for whatever reason. McDaniel's art is kinetic and exciting, almost perfect superhero art. And this team on this book at this time redefined Dick Grayson and made him every bit as cool as his mentor. I love the McDaniel Dixon run on Nightwing, I really do. I think it's a a phenomenal run. I really like reading what of it I've read, because I've not read all of it. Well, we've got it all, got all of it. But because, well, I I kept reading the same traits over and over as I grew up, didn't I? Why? Why did you never just read them all then? Because I wanted to read them all, Hmm. but I would just, I guess I just lost interest because I, I read them a lot when I was younger. Yeah, you were forever taking these first three or four shows and reading them. And bec- it, what it was was I would lose interest around then and think, right, I'm going to start again, and this time I will read them all, but I will keep losing interest at around the same point. So I just read the first few over and over were and you, over. Did you lose interest after Scott McDaniel left? I have no idea. Because I think after the fourth trade it becomes Greg Land. Because I can remember the big muscly guy. Blockbuster. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember him. Is he? Is he the one who's got his head on backwards? I don't. He's the guy who crushes your skull. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, is this, that is Blockbuster. Yes. Yeah. And um, no, it's Soames. Is the policeman who's got his head on backwards, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. All, all great stuff. That I love. Ducks and uh, Daniel's run on Nightwing. I really like that issue, though. I think like some of the the. the Two of the best relationships in comics is Dick and Tim. When they're written properly. Dick and Bruce. And actually, the third one I would go for is Dick and Damien. Yeah, but that was all the vision of one writer as well. It was, but... Until now. Yeah. When they brought Damien back. Yeah, let's, let's not, forget about that. You're not too happy about that, are you? <laughs> it's, it's a sales stun. Yeah, well, there's isn't everything. There is that. But yeah, I, I do think that Dick Grayson is one of the best relationship characters in comics. He is, because he's just so good with everybody, isn't he? He is. He gets on with everybody, which is what's great about it. Good issue, that, isn't it? Yeah. Because when I picked it, you earlier on said, have you just picked issues that's just talking? Because <laughs> I read this next one this, this morning as I was eating my breakfast. Yeah, you read them out of order, didn't you? And, and, well, I only read it because I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to co- go into college in a bit, and I want to eat my breakfast while I read the digital one. Yeah. Because so this hasn't been reprinted. Has it not? Nope. Right. So I read this, 
and it's a talking issue. And then I read that one, which is a talking issue. Yeah, but there's action in it. And then so I, I, just I read the two origin stories from like reading the two parallels. Well, I wanted you to read the origin stories parallel because that's, yeah, yeah. that's what we wanted to, to talk about. Anyway, the next issue, Dick's relationship with Barbara Gordon is a complicated one. Why do you have to get so complicated? <laughs> You're like 15! <laughs> uh, I have to confess my knowledge is based primarily on what Chuck Dixon did with them rather than other writers or even pre-crisis. It was touched upon quite a bit in Batman Family, although the Barbara kind of kept Dick at arm's length due to the age difference. In Batman Family issue 10, she gave her age as being 25, whereas Dix was given, rather vaguely, as still being a teenager. This was in late 1976, and Dick, as befits comic book time, would remain a teen until at least New Teen Titans 15, 1984, where Don of Troy, who is the same age as Dick, was said to be 19. Interestingly, the readership of the time didn't like Barbara and Dick being an item, if the internet is to be believed, so, you know, grain of salt. There seemed to be people that preferred the idea of Batman, of Batman and Bruce. There seemed to be the idea, uh, there seemed to be people who preferred the idea of Barbara and Bruce being a couple. Which, uh, I don't know, I, I could kind of see it in the earlier days where Dick was still supposed to be 15. I guess, but, but considering Barbara kind of turned out to be more Bruce's daughter. Well, in the Batman animated series, it's Barbara and Bruce, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, when you get to Return of the Joker, uh, in Batman Beyond time, Barbara and Bruce had a relationship. It oh. was Barbara and Bruce who had the relationship, not uh, Barbara and Dick. See, to me, it's always been... Um, Bruce is the father and everyone else is his kids his children yeah but in the originally post-crisis like so Dick Barbara was 25 Dick was only 17 or 18 right which is you know yeah. 5 or 6 years doesn't really matter too much but Bruce will have only been like 29 at that point right so yeah and you could understand Barbara being attracted to the older yeah. more experienced Bruce Wayne it's just it's always made sense to me that that's the reason why they couldn't be together because they've always been an on-off couple. They've always tried, but it's never worked. So mm. I kind of just figured that as they are spiritual siblings. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Chuck Dixon ran with the idea of Barbara and Dick, though, in the Nightwing title, aided no doubt by Barbara's apparent de-aging after the crisis on Infinite Earths. Certainly by the time of Nightwing's solo series, they seem to both be in their early 20s. I, I have no problem with Barbara being five years older than Dick, do you? No. I mean, I, some... I, I always thought Dick was older. Yeah, so some people get bent out of shape about it, but you know, it's not something that's ever really bothered me. Anyway, Dixon would establish via his retcon series Batgirl Year One that Dick fancied Barbara from the get-go, and Barbara kept him at arm's length, presumably as she established as being in her late teens, whilst Dick is 15 or so, which reduces the age gap by a good seven years. Yeah. So thanks, Crisis. By the time we get to the Nightwing series, this means both are in their early 20s. One of the best issues concerning Barbara and Dick's relationship was Birds of Prey issue 8, which, as I said, doesn't seem to have been reprinted anywhere. The cover by Greg Land and Brian Stelfreeze has Dick and Barbara on a trapeze, Babs with her legs tied together, as this was post the killing joke where she was shot by the Joker. It does the job, doesn't it? I, I really like it's it. It's a nice piece of art. 
I'm quite intrigued by the idea that she's swinging around in a Batgirl costume with no mask on. Yeah. Along with Nightwing. Yeah. Good. I hope Commissioner Gardner walked. <laughs> or does he know that she was Batgirl at this point? I don't know. Because I think he does figure it out eventually, doesn't he? What, when, now that it doesn't matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter at all now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, but I honestly could not have told you that was Greg Land. No. Is this the same Greg Land as... Marvel porn stars of superhero Greg Land. It is the same Greg Land. He's a very different artist, though, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it is worth noting. On Wings was written by Chuck Dixon, with art, as Michael said, by Greg Land and Drew Gracie. In Bloodhaven, yeah, current <laughs> home for the former boy wonder, now known as Nightwing, Barbara Gordon has made her way for a non-date with Dick Grayson, said former boy wonder. And what better for a non-date than a trip to Haley's Circus, currently on a stopover in Bloodhaven. It's all fun and games until a clown shows up, but Barbara enjoys needling Dick. She's over the past in the same way that he must be, to be sat having fun under the same big top where his parents were killed. Dick listens but asks what does she miss most about being in the chair. She replies that it's the moment when you leap from the ledge, jump line in hand. The moment, the split second before the line goes taut and you swing. The moment when you feel like you are on wings. Being the owner of Haley's Circus hath its privileges and Dick arranges to take Barbara up on the trapeze. At first hesitant, Barbara greatly enjoys it, although she has a moment when she needs to take a leap to feel the angel's wings and let herself be caught by Dick. The two fall into an embrace in the big top. Dick wants it to become something more, but Barbara says no. Computer says no. Ah, <laughs> uh, offbeat. And a very unusual issue for Dixon, long on romance and actually short on action. Which made you probably think, well, they're talking! Uh, that said, there's a lot of good character beats in this issue, and it is, once again, a character piece rather than a standard superhero comic book. There are no villains, no action scenes, nothing to signify this being a Batman-type book. Whether Birds of Prey had a predominantly female readership, I don't know, but men tend to need explosions and car chases mixed in with the car moments to make them more palatable to us. This is still a pivotal issue in the Barbara Gordon-Dick Grayson relationship and for a while commanded a high price on the back issue market. It's unusual that an issue like this would attract a high price because it's just a romance story, but, you know, it's not somebody's death or something like that. kind of makes me a little bit happy. Old romantic still thinks that the romance issue still has a lot of uh, value attached to it. Greg Land, he's out okay, isn't it? That's yeah. a bit of a Stuart Immerman vibe. I got, um, God, I can't remember his name. Who was doing Nightwing when the New 52 started? Oh, God. I know, I know who you mean. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, but him. Because I got quite a vibe from that, which I found funny, because it was both Nightwing. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It wasn't Greg Land, was it? No. Right. He See, worked on Grounded. Right. I do, yes, I know what you mean. I can see his faces in my head. Yeah. Superman did have a resemblance to Dick Grayson. Yeah, it'll come back to us when we're not thinking about it. Land does attract criticism, doesn't he? And that may be deserved. I mean, if you go on the internet and Google him, there is enough evidence of him lightboxing play-by-playmates yeah, yeah. for the cover to some of his comics. But in this particular issue, his artwork's very clean and well done, isn't it? Mm. Nobody's over-sexualised. The storytelling is good. I mean, it's possible in his later comics he developed the tendencies that are irking to people now. But here, I think he's pretty damn good. 
Yeah. I think it's quite enjoyable. What did you think? No, I liked it. Yeah. Was it more a case of you were surprised that it was Greg Land? Yeah, I think that, because I, I, I wouldn't have put the two together at all. But now I know it's him. Hmm. You can see it, can't I, you? Yeah, I can. There are traces of what he will become, but he's still completely different. I wonder how much of this was... How much of this he light-boxed? Yeah. And people do people do just not notice this because it's not Palm Stars? Maybe. Uh, does that not say more about what you've got on your hard drive? <laughs> yeah. That you could go, that was nicked from this issue of Playboy. Yeah. But you can't tell where he light-boxed the circus from. Could be, yeah. You know. There's, there's a thing here with this, isn't there? A lot of artists traced... Yeah. And a lot of artists copied photos, and a lot of artists did all of that stuff. But back in the day, you didn't have the internet to do a Google search, so you didn't know that they did it. how well the artist disguises it. Yeah, there is, there is that element to doesn't it. doesn't d- disguise it. No, well I did, like you, when I read this, I did Google him. Yeah. And some people have, very kind of them, to put the play-by pictures right next to the covers of the Marvel comics. And yeah. there are some cases where... He's not changed this at all. No, there is. And there are even places where he's used the same faces. Yeah. In different places. Yeah. And it's it is a bit so I don't know what happened to him because this like I said, this is really good, isn't it? To be honest, I still I quite like his his art now, to be honest. Do you really fifteen year old? Well <laughs> not because of that. Yeah. I know. But yeah, I like his art now. And when like he's his... not just tracing playboy. Yeah, and I like his art then. It's two different art styles that he are has... good in their own right. He has evolved quite significantly, hasn't he? Yeah. Dick Grayson's got an awful lot of upper body strength if he can hold onto that trapeze with one arm whilst supporting Barbara with the other. Momentum as well. And, and he's Dick Grayson. And he's, he's, Dick. A, he's a trapeze artist. What, what can't Dick do? What can't Dick do? That's very true. What do you think of this issue? I, I honestly really liked it. I did. I was uh, presently pleasantly surprised by it. And I thought it was really good. What did you get from the implication on page 21? I had to read it a few times, <coughs> to be honest. Because I'm like, oh, they're just hugging. Yeah, they're kind of pretty close, but did they kiss? But no, on the last panel, they don't kiss. They only imply a kiss when you can see the two silhouettes together. Mm. See, I didn't. I didn't know whether it went further than that. I didn't get that it went further than Did that. Did you know? It's, it's a nice issue, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really quite a sweet story and very yeah. different for Chuck Dixon. So very good. So Birds of Prey eight gets a thumbs up, doesn't it? Mm. I especially like the what's it at the end where he's he's talking to Huntress, not Huntress Black and her all the way through the issue, and she doesn't know who it is. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not telling you I am, work it out. Yeah. I thought that was quite... And then she shows up and he's just like, oh, hey, he's best mates. Yeah. Good one. It was was a good issue, wasn't it? I quite liked it. Hmm. Anyway, that's it for our celebration of Robin until next week, when we'll be looking at the title that more than any other made Robin and Dick Grayson a viable character in his own right, and not the back half of Batman and the new Teen Titans will be one of the issues we cover next week, along with Batman The Lost Years from the animated series and the story arc involving Damien. Because Michael insisted that we had to cover Damien if we were doing a celebration of Robin. Mm-hmm. So that's all coming next time on an all-new episode. We hope you will join us. See you then. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 
Big Hits Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show has not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Bruce goes down on Catwoman. <laughs> I'll cut that out.